0: Hello and welcome to Engagement Express, the podcast series for HR, engagement and internal communication professionals, designed to give you tips and tricks on how to increase and foster engagement in your organisation. My name's Kate Siche and I'm a global internal communications and collaboration consultant who's worked with many well-known global brands to increase and support engagement. Now, today's a really special interview. I'm joined by the wonderful Marie-Louise Sund. Now, Marie-Louise is a fantastic example of someone who's transitioned from one career to the next. Not only is she co-founder and CEO of quality Check, but she's also a former surgeon. Now, Marie believes that all employees should get equal opportunity to work in a good environment and should not be discriminated against on the basis of age, gender, nationality, sexuality, functional ability, and so on. Marie started her professional career as a surgeon, as she was quite passionate about the domain, but at the same time, she's always been inspired by human rights and diversity since a young age. So welcome, Marie-Louise.
1: So thank you so much, Marie-Louise Sund, for joining me today. It's so great to have you here. And your organization is a really interesting one for me. And that's why I asked you to come on to the podcast as a guest. So what, thank what you so much for having is- me. Oh, no, you're very welcome. Thank you. What would you say your business is about in a nutshell, if you would describe it in one or two sentences?
2: So the really short description would be that we are a trip advisor for equality in the workplace. So it's a platform where all employees anonymously can review how they experience equality and diversity and future potential, etc., in the workplace. And then we use that information to help companies diagnose where their problems are and suggest evidence-based solutions on how to improve to become better workplaces for all their employees.
1: Now, that sounds so aspirational and so needed in this current environment. You know, everyone's so aware now of the difference that having an organisation that is aware of those issues makes to the employees that works for the organisation. What role would you say your organisation plays in equity? Because equality and equity are two different things, often confused. But equity is just as important as equality, if not more, I would say.
2: Definitely. I think... What we're trying to do is how we contribute to both those aspects, I think, is first of all, in introducing transparency, introducing accountability. I think one of the main things for people today, which is really hard, is to understand is my experience similar to others. Am I getting the same opportunities? Am I being treated the same way or not? And that's really hard to know. And by introducing transparency and adding data and large amounts of data, it's possible for each individual to know more about if their experience is, if they are being treated like their peers or not, or being given the same opportunities as their peers or not, or if there is anything with their background or identity. It could be gender, it could be ethnicity, it could be Religion or any other thing that means that they are unconsciously being treated differently by others. So I think transparency and accountability and then giving people the opportunity to contribute with that themselves in a very anonymous and safe way. And also helping the companies to see those patterns and identifying where there might be differences and which subgroups that they might not be giving the same opportunities. And maybe not that's intentional from the company side either. But we see that the companies don't have this kind of data themselves. So they, it's very hard for them as well to know know, what kind of differences there are within the company.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, you you use the word intentional. And, you know, I often consider this myself as a woman of colour, you know, whether organisations actually do know what they need to do. They understand that there's perhaps an issue. And I appreciate what you're saying in that you can provide the data to make it clearer. But I often wonder if the organizations do actually know already what the issues are, but don't necessarily want to tackle them.
2: I think that's a very hard question. And I think it's very different (laughs) from company to company. I think one thing that we are seeing definitely is that I think on a global scale, companies are seeing that this is something they have to start tackling. What we're also seeing is that a lot of companies are a lot more comfortable with talking than with starting to make a change at this point. Yeah. And some of that, I think, is genuinely also because the companies have no idea what to do. Maybe because they don't put the right resources into it. Maybe because this is such a new field. Maybe because many of the companies are being led by you know the stereotype white straight man the certain age who hasn't really experienced these problems and therefore don't really understand how to go about or how to solve them or sense the urgency themselves but we are seeing whatever the reason is for their struggle to go from words to action we are seeing a very real sort of confusion or sense of being lost and not knowing what to do and that's where we can be Helpful, we think, in that through the data and through the research approach that we have, we can make it a lot more tangible for companies and tell them exactly where their problems are and suggesting evidence-based solutions on how to fix those problems. So instead of this being you know, a huge problem that they don't really know how to solve or where to start solving, we can help them sort of break it down into pieces and then solve it one by one and move them from the talking to the more of an action plan.
1: Yeah, I can perfectly understand that because often inertia is driven by a sense of being overwhelmed and not necessarily knowing where to start. So having that bite-sized approach, I think, is certainly beneficial for organisations. When I first came across the business, I automatically thought about Glassdoor because Glassdoor is established and it's been around for many years. It isn't necessarily focused on the area that you are, but has certainly increased visibility of organisations D&I. So I wondered what the difference was from your perspective between Glassdoor and your organisation.
2: Yeah, definitely. And there are, as you say, some superficial similarities, because it's a platform where you can review your workplace, etc. I think the main difference is one is focus, which is very much on what we see talents today care about, which is equal opportunity, future potential, the whole culture, inclusiveness, et cetera, which is at the core of our product, whereas that is not really the core of what Glassdoor is asking about. And more importantly, the domain expertise that goes behind it. And then towards companies, there's a very big difference between us and Glassdoor because what we do, in that sense, we're more similar to Trustpilot, which is another platform-based company where you don't review work-based, but you review any kind of product or service that you are buying. Uh, yeah. So what we do with the data is that we use that data to help companies give them insight, help them diagnose where the problems are, help them suggest evidence-based solutions on how to improve so that it's not just a platform to create transparency. It's also a platform to nudge that change and to help the companies change and become workplaces that really do offer equal opportunities to everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, Glassdoor is often perceived as a stick with which to beat organizations with and you know it's notorious for you know disgruntled ex-employees using it as a mechanism to get back at an organization for perceived ill treatment so there are clear differences but yeah there are some similarities like you say and it's interesting that you spoke about Trustpilot because everyone knows Trustpilot everyone's aware of it and it seems to be increasing in presence in different organizations. And I think also
2: the audience is changing. When Blaster came on the market, it was, that kind of transparency was new and I think that might also have uh, sort of spiked or uh, given different kind of behavior in the users, as you say, that it's more of a shaming platform than other platforms might be. Whereas today, transparency in reviewing is very common. And we see that you don't necessarily review something that you dislike, you review everything. And then for us, it's really important to have more of a positive and solution-oriented approach. We want to create transparency about the situation. And then we want to use that transparency to make a change
1: yeah exactly and the best companies do use glassdoor in that way so they'll go on and answer questions you know around negative experiences or or things that perhaps have gone wrong from the ex employee's perspective so it's it's interesting that i think both organisations have a similar purpose in that transparency and the knowledge that the insight should be used for good, for positive outcomes rather than negative. Yeah, really interesting. You know, what you spoke about earlier, you mentioned this whole idea about talent and young people. And I've noticed it myself, you know, wanting this different approach to seeking a job, seeking a role, seeking a career. There isn't just this desire to have a job you know, a job that pays well or a job that, you know, is permanent and will deliver compensation for a number of years. It's, that you know, people now, so young people particularly, and I think generally now are much more aware of an organisation's input to society and support for communities. And I wondered if you had a viewpoint on that, you know, with how you feel that's going to develop, you know, if it will ebb away or if it will continue in strength to influence the way organisations run their show. Because at the end of the day, if they can't attract the talent, then they're going to suffer.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a super important observation and an observation that we see become stronger and stronger. And we know already that, like you say, millennials, which is everyone born after 1982, I think, look differently at the workplace. So when millennials look for jobs, they rate equal opportunity, they rate diversity and inclusion, culture, purpose, etc, as a lot more important things than previous generations have done. And previous generations were more concerned about, like you say, having a job and the salary, whereas millennials care more about what kind of job and what kind of impact that job has on the world and on the society. And the interesting thing is that we see that trend even stronger for each generation. So for a generation set, we see this as an even stronger trend than we saw in the millennials, etc. And within the next five years, millennials will Account for more than 75% of the workforce, which is because millennials are no longer just the young people. Yeah, uh, they're I not mean, everyone born really, after 1982, is, uh, many of them are now in leading positions and will be within the next few years. So yeah. I think this is a trend that's super important and which has The consequence of this is that the employees are starting to become one of the main stakeholders that are pushing companies to change. And one of the reasons why many companies now see that they really need to go from talk to action, because if they want to be a workplace that attracts and even more importantly retains these kind of talent, they have to change the culture. And if not, they will lose talents. And that's super expensive for companies. And that's an important trigger, I think, for companies to start seeing that now is really the time to go from Talk to
1: Action. Mm, yeah, agreed, totally. And, you know, from the organisations that I've been looking at and the conversations that I've been hearing, there is this, uh, I, I guess, an overwhelming array of statistics and data that can be collected. So, you know, I think it was in 2018, if I'm not wrong, there was the gender pay gap reporting that was requested by the government for all organisations in the UK, at least to provide that data. And then, of course, there are other aspects that need to be considered around disability and race and, you know, sexuality. So, you know, I wonder, you know, when you're faced with all of this information and all of these requests and all of these requirements, you know, where do you start? What kind of conversations are you having about the kind of data that people are looking to collate initially, first and foremost?
2: Well, I think that you're touching upon something that I think a lot of companies are seeing or struggling with right now, and is. Where to start, what kind of data to collect and what to do with the data. And one of the things exactly. that we've seen. Yeah. And one of the things that we've seen is that first of all, companies struggle very much with what kind of data to collect because some companies have been collecting data for a while, but it has been a very random set of data. And many companies we see are collecting the kind of data that is very easy for them to collect, but doesn't necessarily give them good information. So that's one of the first problems. And that's one of the things that we are helping companies with is to make sure that you correct the right data. And then we see the second problem for companies is that they get sort of a data fatigue, or even though they have the right kind of data, they don't have the knowledge or understanding within the company to create insight out of that data. So it doesn't really help just to have the data, they have to understand what to make out of it. It's like I'm a doctor by profession. And it's a bit like having a sets of labs or clinical exams or radiology. And if you don't know what to do with it, it doesn't give you any information. So that's another area where we are helping companies in putting understanding the data and giving insight from the data and helping them sort of diagnose, to use another medical term, to find out what the problems are. So I think that's a challenge now, which is one of the things that we are helping companies with, is understanding what kind of data to collect and how to use it to create insight.
1: Fantastic. And you just touched on something that I wanted to ask you about. So thank you for giving me the segue into your background, because you did say you were a doctor before. And I find that so fascinating, because doctors obviously have a passion and a mission and a purpose to help people. It's not easy training to be a doctor. And I think it's really a vocation, you know, for anyone who decides to take that route because of the training and the commitment that's required. So how much of your background would you say has played a role in this business? you know, from your perspective?
2: I think a lot, actually. And I think the way, because as a doctor, so I'm a surgeon by training. And as a doctor and a surgeon, it's very task-oriented. It's very solution-oriented. You have a problem. There's a lot of problem solving. You get in, I was doing mostly emergency surgeries, and you get in patients that obviously have a problem, but you don't really know what the problem is. And you have to as quick as possible and as correct as possible, diagnose them and find out, use the data available to find the right diagnosis. And if you don't find the right diagnosis, then you're not going to be able to help them. So it's really important that you get the diagnosis right and then yeah. implement a treatment that you know will actually solve that problem. And so I think that way of thinking has been very fundamental in how we have built a call to check and the tools that we are offering companies. In this is sort of a problem solving task as well. And it's very much about diagnosing the workplace and diagnosing companies and using finding the right data points and making the right diagnosis based on that because as we know in medicine we know that if you make the wrong diagnosis the treatment is not going to work and I think when it comes to diversity and inclusion that has happened a lot. There's a lot of people and companies who have so many opinions on what the problem is and why the problem is and we have all these stereotypes and all these myths and people keep diagnosing based on these stereotypes. And when you start looking into it, a lot of that is actually wrong. So having the more sort of scientific approach to it, to find the right data and understand the data and use that to make the actual, the right diagnosis and not just a diagnosis. And then based on that, which is the third thing where I think that we are innovating the field a little bit is in that we are doing a lot of research and funding research projects to validate solutions, because that's the third point we see that companies are doing a struggling or where they go wrong a lot of the time is that they're just implementing measures without knowing if those measures actually have an effect or not. And we know from Kinsey that only 24% of the companies implementing measures see effect, which is a very poor success rate. And that's true. Right. If you had a success rate like that, you would be very, very popular amongst anyone. Exactly. As a result, in medicine, because it's so important that you get the diagnosis right and that it's so important that the measures or treatments actually work. We have more of an evidence based approach, so we test treatments, we validate treatments so that we know that when we do something, we know that it's actually going to have an effect. And that's the same thing that we're doing now when it comes to diversity inclusion so that we can ensure that the treatments when we do diagnose a problem and see a problem in a company, we can actually suggest evidence based solutions that we know will have an effect.
1: I love that. You know, I love the fact that you are able to apply that training and that experience and that knowledge in the setting because it's so pertinent to have that mindset whereby you don't judge, you don't chastise, you don't look through the lens of stereotypes. You just calmly assess the data and see what it tells you and present solutions and steps, you know, to take to go forward because that's what's always missing in these debates. They're so emotive. People get so het up and passionate, which is understandable. But at the end of the day, that's why nothing gets done, because people are afraid of conversation and perhaps argument and disagreement. Whereas if you've got data to work from, it's so much easier, isn't it, to present the data and say this is the diagnosis and this is what we propose as the solution without having to argue or, or get into any kind of heated discussion.
2: Yeah, Definitely.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. And a great approach. And I wanted to ask you finally about your mission and your vision and the purpose behind the organisation. I think it very much aligns with your background and with you as an individual. But can you tell me a bit more about that? What would you like to see happen as a result of the work that you're doing with organisations?
2: So our great vision is to create a workplace that gives equal opportunities to everyone, regardless of who they are. And we do that. And we think the way to do it is through transparency, through data, through evidence-based solution and using technology to enable that and to scale it. So we're a Norwegian startup and we started two years ago and have so far gotten great traction in Norway. And we're scaling now to the UK, which we think is a very interesting market because Although people look to Scandinavia as uh, as sort of in the forefront of diversity and inclusion, which is right in some senses, because we have the formalities in order in Scandinavia. But I think what's interesting with the UK is that there's a much stronger sense of urgency, I think, in the market to actually solve the problem or to, to start seeing results, which is a good starting point, I think, to see change as well. So we're scaling now to the UK and looking to become a global company. We have uh, huge ambitions, of course, and we see that this is a problem that it's a problem that's global and where actually maybe surprisingly for some people, but many of the challenges are very similar, even if you compare Norway to UK, to India, to like all kinds of different countries in that you see, like you described yourself, every country or every culture have all these stereotypes and these unconscious biases and perceptions and and we're not very aware of those. And they very often create all these systematic errors within the society, which makes it very hard to move forward. So we think that transparency and data and evidence-based approach is a quite systemic and global solution to those problems. So we're aiming high and really wanting to solve this problem, ensuring that everyone gets equal opportunities, regardless of who they are and whatever background they have on a global scale, really.
1: Yeah. And I love the ambition. And that's why I was so interested in what you're trying to achieve. You know, I think it's so much needed and organisations will benefit greatly from your expertise and knowledge. So I do really hope that you manage to achieve the outcomes that you expect to achieve as aspirational and as ambitious as they are. And can I finally ask you, how do you make sure you take your own medicine? So how is Equality Check ensuring that it's doing what it's telling other organisations to do? (laughs)
2: But that's a super good question. Something that we're discussing all the time. We have, of course, a very, it's very high on the agenda. We're a small startup so far. We're about 12 employees and hiring some more now. Yeah. So we think about it a lot in the recruiting process. We think about it a lot when we onboard people to actually maintain and cherish the differences and not try to make sort of a culture where everyone, you might take in diversity, but then you expect everyone to be the same once they join the company which I think is super important to cherish the differences within the culture as well. And as we are growing, we're also using our own products to make sure that we actually have the numbers. And because it's one thing to think about it, it's another thing to look at the numbers and see if you actually do it. And sometimes that can be quite surprising because you feel you're right. doing a good job. And then when you look at the data, you're not really doing it. So, <laughs> And then we're also, I think one thing which is actually uh, very in a way an advantage or at least very gives us a lot of experience and learning as well is that as a company working with diversity and inclusion we are very prone to criticism as well which means that we are always on the edge always trying to improve we do get a lot of constructive feedback as well on things that we should have done differently or things we might not have thought about and we really value that kind of feedback as well and use that to improve as a company for ourselves as well.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Marie-Louise. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I wish the business great success because I ultimately think that if you achieve the outcomes that you expect to and you become this global organisation that you aspire to be, it will make such a positive difference to the you know communities and local environments as well as workplaces and organisations and offices and it will just be much more pleasant. A place to be you know if you have organizations that are equal and that do do things in an equitable way so thank you so much for being a guest today
2: thank you so much for having me